just kind of give you a little, again, a little bit of a recap uh, where we are, and maybe just to reiterate what uh, Joanne prayed is that, man, he loves us. I think that's the biggest, it is, I mean, of all the things that I've seen and been a part of, and just, man, he loves us. I mean, just overwhelming love, overwhelming love. Not the, you know, exploitative love, not the I want something from you love, just overwhelmed. Like while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us love, like ridiculous love. Trusting love. And we began really on Sunday morning just really investigating what does it, what does it look like? to belong to the Father? What does it look like to be a child of God when it really comes down to it? And I just was really taken with the Matthew passage where he gets his disciples you know, alone. He does this from time to time. And you know, he wants to know the buzz, as we've been saying. He wants to know, the, you know what's, what's the word on the street. And there's just so much noise going on in his day. And I just, that spoke so clearly to me in, in, in the light of the day and age. There's just so much noise going on, you know? And uh, he says, hey, well, you know what, what do the people say? What are you hearing out there? And then he cuts to the chase and, and says, what do you say? And they're all quiet except for Peter, the loud mouth, first to speak, mercy. And surprisingly, after saying you're the Christ, the son, the living God, Peter, Jesus just gets all excited about Peter. And he said, this was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. In other words, you didn't get this from some commentary. You didn't get it from some street preacher. You didn't learn it in college. This isn't an academic deal. Man, you've been, you've been the recipient of my father's voice who's come down and revealed to you. And that's so consistent. I may have mentioned this this week, but I'm, I'm doing this study. We won't get it today, uh, today, but I'll just quite, or this week, but I'll quite just real quickly mention it. In uh, John chapter 2, Jesus comes into um, the uh, Feast of the Jews. It's... it's uh, he comes down, Passover with his family, and man, he just walks in and flips over the tables. Did I mention that this week? It all blends together, man. But go and finish it out. You know, he, he did. He, he quotes this prophecy that, uh, or rather, he does these things, flips over tables, and all 12 disciples come to the conclusion of this prophecy that's out of the old covenant, zeal for your house will consume. All 12 at the same time, and I remember reading that going, dude, come on. All 12 disciples are going to remember. But my thought of my understanding of remembering was reaching back into my mind, remembering something and pulling it to the forefront. And that at that point in time, all 12 disciples remembered it at the same time. I'm just, that's hard to believe. And I got into the grammar and found that it was in the passive voice, which literally means they were caused to remember. And this is just a consistency. This is, this is what happens is, as children of God who's filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to hear from him. You were created to hear. You were created to hear in the spiritual. So Jesus is just so excited about Peter. He's saying, you've heard my father. In fact, this is what I'm going to build my church on. I'm going to build my church on what's coming down from the throne and released into your community. See, it's, I'm just done in these days with good ideas. I want God ideas. And I do. I just think that should be the, the fundamental of everything that goes on in your church. You know, the world is filled with good ideas. We're not interested in good ideas. And it's not that it's not bad. It's just not his ideas. And that, that's, that's who we are. That's what the, and we looked at last night. That's what the scriptures, which is the, 
the canon, the final authority on what a child of God looks like, the scriptures paint that picture of a spirit-sourced man and woman being a child of God. That's what the scriptures say. The scriptures describe, they paint a picture of, of what does a Christian look like? Jesus, someone who was led by the Spirit, who was empowered by the Spirit. And I want to give you an example of that this evening, but and that's what we're going to look at in John chapter 5. But the motivation, you can never go wrong by just, it's this, it all begins in love. It, seriously, it really does. It all begins in love. Every miraculous thing that I've ever seen has its roots and its, its kind of inauguration in love. It's not the desire for power. It's not wanting, you know, it's not the desire for inconvenience to be removed. It's not, you know, there's pain going on. And, and it's, not, it's not even miracles, specifically miracles. It's not like, man, God, you could really reveal yourself in this. Well, he doesn't, <laughs> come on. That's not the motivation. What's the motivation? Love. See, that, that's what it is, man. It's love. If you don't care about him, how can you be the vehicle of his love coming through you? I mean, it's really what it is. Do we really love our community? Do we really love them? Well, then you get their life right. I don't think that sounds like love. You know? It'll change how you pray for your president. It'll change how you pray for your government. I'm telling you, man. He's a God of love. Jesus said one of the signs of the end times is the love of many will go cold. They will not be motivated by love. You know, you can be motivated by righteousness, not love. Like rightness. I'm not right and wrong driven. I'm person driven. Thank God he's not right and wrong driven. I wouldn't be here. It's love. One of my favorite passages, obviously, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. That's it. <laughs> Motivated by love. He gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. We tend to leave off 17 and 18 sometimes. You know, he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. I love it. He's talking to the leaders of Israel in John at one point, and he says, I have much to say in judgment of you. But the, heaven, but the Father's faithful. That's what he says. He never went off the handle. Well, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll, I'll give it to him. That doesn't sound like love. Seriously, we're in precarious days. Injustice cannot be solved by people motivated by anger or revenge. We know this. See, we're a people motivated by the heart of God. Love covers older, over a multitude of sins. Seriously. This isn't rocket science. Sometimes I say things, people are like, wow. I'm like, you can read, right? It's not like I'm making this stuff up. It's like they're just secret commentary somewhere. Right? We're, we're motivated by love, man. Love your neighbor. Well. You don't know what he does. Oh, I forgot. Love those who persecute you. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And whoever believes is not condemned, but whoever doesn't believe, they stand condemned already. What does that mean? It's like, 
It's like you have a whole world that's marching into eternity without God. And he literally stands in between them and says, listen, you don't have to go. I've prepared a place for you. In fact, I sent my son and uh, he paid the price. You're forgiven. I've forgiven everybody. I've forgiven everybody. All you got to do is accept it. Come on in. It's great. It's a big party. We got Diet 7 up in there. I mean, we got I mean, pretzels. We got Amish. Amish crack. They call that in, in Indiana. You heard that? Amish crack. You got to get out, man. It's good stuff. But it's, uh, it's in Indiana. They call it. It's like a type of, uh, it's a type of, like, uh, we're way off track. But it's a type of, uh, like, donut. It's called it's northern Indiana. I travel all over the place. It's called Amish crack. It's great. It's in the Nazarene church. It's legal. But um, <laughs> Jesus is, seriously, the Father's just like, I've forgiven you, man. I love you. See, and again, if, if, you, if you wind up eternally separated from Jesus, he's going to weep. Oh, he's going to weep because it wasn't his intention for you. And the people that wind up eternally lost are those who refused to be saved. Seriously, they just absolutely refused to be saved. God does not condemn. He just doesn't. This is not that season. There will come a day on the day that's going to be horrible where you finally just get your way. Um, I did this thing, and I, I would love for you, uh, I forgot to even talk about our school, so irresponsible. But um, I have a Facebook page, and I do ministry stuff on there, and, and we have uh, started a school, which is, maybe I'll talk about it before I leave tonight, but um, I did a little thing on our, a study a while back on the difference between um, judgment and condemnation. We live in a world where people's like, well, you know, don't judge. You know, where, where do we come up with that? You're, you're called as Christians, and within the body of Christ, you are called to judge. Okay? In fact, I, this week I'm staying with Chris and uh, um, Joy uh, Callgard. I don't know if you guys know Chris or Joy or not. I love them because they're just so judgmental. <laughs> and uh, they remind me of this couple that uh, good friends of mine who have this 16-year-old daughter, and uh, he was telling me how uh, this last fall, daughter comes up at Saturday night. She's 14. She says, I'm going to go out with some of my friends. It's about 10 o'clock on Saturday night. And he's like, uh. But um, before he can really address it, he hears noise outside, thinks it's a truck, opens up the front door, looks out. There's like five or six motorcycles, middle-aged guys out there on them, you know. Hey, come on, Tr Tracy. And and the dad slams a door and says, you're not going out with them. And I was like, he doesn't even know him. That's so judgmental. <laughs> you make judgments every day, all day. You judge who your kids hang out with. You judge who watches your grandkids. You judge what TV shows they watch. You judge what, you judge Judging, by the way, there's three main words for judgment. This is not even part of the deal, but there's three main words for judgment in the New Testament. You can go to my Facebook page and watch, page and watch it. But, you know, crino, crema, and crisis. And I won't go through it all there, but the idea of judgment, depending on its context, can be, can be translated judge or condemn. Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but he did judge. Every letter, Paul makes judgments. You and I are called to judge. We judge 
Judging is looking at someone in love and saying, oh, dude, that's not what you want to do. Condemnation is looking at someone and saying, you don't deserve to be saved. Christians never save that or never say that. I've heard people say, oh, these kind of people over here, they should burn in hell. I'd love to go to your church. We don't do that. We do not condemn. It's not wrong to judge. You make righteous judgments. In fact, judgment is an act of love. If you do not make judgments about your kid's behavior, they grow up and it's, ah. You end up trying to deal with things when they're 19 and 20 that you should have dealt when they were 12 and 13. So love is not the, ab- is not the absence of saying right and wrong. That's not, that's not what it is. Everything we do as Christians is motivated by love. Everything. Everything. And if you want to transform Valley City or the city you live in, it's got to be because you have his heart for this city. You just fall in love with the unlovable. That's a miracle. Seriously, that's a miracle in our day. We get last night. I can go as long as I want. I was, uh, I won't, I'll be respectful of your time. I was, uh, this, just really quickly though, and uh, we were on the square in our town, and we've been praying there for almost a year now, and God just led us down there to pray, and these riots started all over the country, and literally in our town, because next door neighbor, uh, her brother, the lady next door to us, her brother's a police officer, and they, they, Word got to us through her that they told the police, don't even go down on the square. Whatever they do, we'll just we'll deal with it. Don't even go down on the square. And man, our prayer team, oh, these girls are psycho. Man. They're like, man, I heard from the Lord. We're supposed to go down there and pray. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. So we did, man. We went down there and it was just, we were just praying and praying and and for like a week, it was just brutal. They were on one side and signs and throwing stuff and cussing and yelling at us. We were just praying. Finally, the third day, we were down there praying, and they had this whole group of people. And I saw one of the leaders over there, and uh, she's a short African-American girl. And I smiled, and she smiled back. And I just looked at my buddy. I said, come on. And I walked over across the street, and I just hugged her. And I just said, man, I said, I love you guys. Thanks for coming out, man. And they just looked at me. And we just went, dude. We got our, it's on Facebook, got our picture with the whole group. I was like, let's get a picture. I was hugging everybody. Can I pray for you? I love you. They didn't want to come. They went to the other side of town. Seriously, we won that square. And we've been meeting there every week. And, and when this was going on, we did it every night of the week during quarantine. But we, we've been going there, and it was just love. I mean, you didn't, we didn't have to pick up anything. There was no threats. I, do, I think that's the way we transform our cities. We fall in love with them. I'm going to give you, if I can, just maybe an illustration of this. And it's, it's wonderful in John chapter 5 to give you a little context. Um, in John chapter 5, and I, I'm not going to read it. We're going to go from verse 1 down through verse 20. Um, it begins, if I can just, maybe we'll, go, maybe we'll, here's what we'll do. We'll just go through it a little bit at a time. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 5. It reads, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. And scholars are a little uh, divided on this. Um, It's just hard to figure out because of the timing and some of the language. It literally could be, you know, 
any of the three major feasts where it was required to come down to Jerusalem to celebrate it, which was either, it was either Passover, Pentecost, or the Festival of um, Tabernacles, also called booths. And, and uh, Pentecost was also called, uh, called weeks. And so, uh, you know, those are three different times of the year, and just we really don't know which one, but it's one of these major feasts. So Jesus comes down, and then in verses 2 through 5, it says, Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool. And I, I've never been to Jerusalem, as several friends are, but there are a variety of gates around the city. There's the what they call the pre-exilic gates. Those are the gates around the original uh, temple and the wall around the temple in Jerusalem back before um, Nebuchadnezzar came in and destroyed the whole thing. Okay, so they had a number of gates. You can Google that, and there's tons of them there. And then when Nehemiah uh, and Ezra, uh, you know, Daniel says, hey, we're going back, and King Cyrus initiates them, and they go back, and they're going to rebuild the walls. And Nehemiah, if you read Nehemiah, it's such a great story. He's literally holding a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other. I mean, this is awesome. He's rebuilding the walls, and so they're reestablishing these gates. And there's not as in some of the old gates they, they rebuilt and then they put new gates in. By the time there's you come to Jesus' day, there's even more gates. But these are the ones scholars can, can agree on. There's the fish gate, the old gate, the valley gate, the dung gate, the fountain gate, the water gate, the horse gate, the east gate, the muster gate, and the sheep gate. Come on, that's some gates, right? Okay. And so Jesus comes in through the sheep gate, okay? And that gate still remained, and there, yet there were more, three other major gates in the time of Jesus that were used. It's not all, some of them were blocked up in certain battles or whatever, but those were the major, major gates. The sheep gate was the one where all the, the flocks and the herds and some of the sheep were and the, and the leaders of Israel and the authorities carried. And, and of course, those, that's where all the sheep business was done. And, you know, scholars vary, but most say it probably wasn't a real pleasant you know, place. <laughs> I've been out at Chris's place, you know, it's a smell of money out there, man. That's what we call it, you know. It's, just, it's probably what it smelled like over at the Sheep Gate, right? And um, so you kind of had to watch where you walk and that whole situation. And, and right inside the Sheep Gate, the text tells us, beginning again in, in the middle of verse 2, there's this pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. And then, of course, verse 3 tells us here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Um, it's interesting that this, this certain pool draws all of these, you know, paralytics, these diseased. And, and it was kind of a place uh, of charity that they were kind of relegated to. If you're going to be around in the area, this is the place to be. You know, the plush of society is not going to be mingling here. And then on top of that, there was, scholars tell us, there was this um, a tradition that was attached to it. And the tradition was, is that the waters from time to time would be stirred, which would happen. And they believed that an angel of the Lord had descended down into the pool. And if you could get into the pool before the angel left, you'd be healed. Which sounds just like Jesus. You know, if you can get in quick enough, I'll heal you. You know, I know you're, I know you're crippled. Oh, not, not this time. You know, <laughs> It's crazy the stuff we believe, right, you know? And obviously, it's not true. Um, we now know that there was a spring at the bottom of this pool that would bubble up, and uh, it, was, it was gleaned from a pagan tradition. It's what happens when paganism comes in, the, comes in the church and displaces the scriptures. And so 
but uh, nonetheless, uh, that tradition spread. And, it's, and there's, we did a whole study on this. It's so surprising. The legalistic structure and the message of that day through the Pharisees and the teaching of the law. And yet those kinds of stories were allowed to continue and to dictate how things were managed and, and, and what people believed, the less important people believed in their society. It's just sad. It's real sad. But anyway, that's what's going on. So you get all these lame, blind, and, and people that are there. Verse 5 tells us one who had been there had been an invalid for 38 years. So it, it literally paints this picture. And he tells us later on, hey, I've no one to help me when the pool stirred, stir, uh, stirred when he's talking to Jesus. He's been there a long time. There's no one to help him, no family. He just really has nowhere to go. And we won't go into some of these details, but we'll find out later down towards verses uh, 14 and 15 that even after he's healed, he stays there. It's amazing what we go back to. Really quickly, drugs, alcohol, uh, overeating, whatever it is, though that is never, never the problem. It's the problem is what you're trying to fix with that stuff. So the problem is not, not the thing. The problem is, is the wanting of that thing. See, it's, the, the sin is inside. It's not, a, it's not an activity. If I could just stop doing that activity, that's, that's never the issue. It's never the issue. The problem is the want to. See, the problem is you, you like that. That's the real crux of sin. And so I meet people that, you know, God can take, God can deliver you. I've, we pray for people, and then, man, if God would just deliver them, he has. You just keep going back, redigging the grave, jumping right back in, Really? And so it's, it's interesting that you, you know, you, people that are get set free from something, it's, it's not the physical deal. It's, it's the inside cleansing of our heart. We need Jesus inside to change how we feel. That, that's the real issue. I was talking to this mom just real quickly. I was talking to this mom at this camp, and it was, it was years ago. I was at this camp in Ohio, and uh, I was, uh, I, I, at this point, I think I was a Bible teacher, and I did the youth as well. This is years ago. And uh, I'm in my motor home, and I get this banging on my door, right in the middle where there should be teen services going on and all this different stuff. And, and I open up the, up the door, and uh, it's a mom, and she's got her teenage boy. She drags him in, and she's like, tell him. And he looks mortified, and it's like uncomfortable for both of us, you know. And I'm like, yeah, you know. And we sit down, and she'd got on his phone, and he'd left his phone on or something, and porn on it. And so she comes to me, and, and she's like, you know, and she fix him. <laughs> I mean, literally, is what it was, you know. And it was like I had some spirit magical power or something, you know. And he was embarrassed, and he was mortified, and all of that, and we prayed. And, and you know, I, I looked at her, and I just was like, that's, you know, this isn't about stopping watching that. That's not, that's not the issue, you know. So the issue is that inside, you know, Inside the way you think, it's a transformation of the renewing of your mind. See, the real issue is to say, okay, you don't watch porn anymore, that's fine. I'm not going to do it. Mom scares me to death. Uh, I don't want to go to hell, whatever. See, the problem is, is if, 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 if he does not move in your life and transform the way you think, one day that's how you're going to expect your wife to act. Yeah, because the enemy, see, it's not about watching a physical act. It's seeing that through the eyes of the enemy. 
See, the enemy doesn't want you to just do bad things. He wants you to see the way he sees. Seriously, he wants you to feel the way he feels. That's what sin is. It's not just some physical activity that we do. It's never been about that. Paul says these crazy things. He says all things are permissible. Not all things are beneficial. I remember thinking as a young, I'm cutting that out of the Bible. I don't want my kid reading that thing, man. That liberal Paul. That's crazy. That's just as crazy. But when you come to the crooks, the the crux of what, what God wants to do in your life, it's not about the physical activities. It's not about what you wear. <laughs> You're just not, I'm, a, I'm a new creation, man. I think differently. He hung out at tax collectors' parties. Do you know what goes on at tax collector parties? Oh, you, you do? <laughs> Come on. I mean, that's the places he, I mean, he was called a drunkard and a glutton and a friend of tax collectors. That's insane. See, I, I do, I truly believe that when you and I are, I mean, we are more than conquerors. We dumb down Christianity. I can't go there, I won't go there. Man, our church is getting real radical. You know, I don't know, we gotta be really, no, dude, when you're filled with the presence of Jesus, you just see differently. What used to be tempting is not tempting anymore. I don't know how much, I don't know how aggressive I can get with you. I mean, it is Wednesday. No, seriously, it's not in the looking. Lust, for example. See, there's a difference between looking and lusting. See, I'm going to the airport tomorrow. Do you know how many butts I'm going to see tomorrow at the airport? <laughs> no, seriously, everybody wears, I, I just, I wish all yoga pants would be burnt, thrown away. They're butts galore. I mean, it's just little ones, big ones, old ones, young ones. And I talked about, oh, oh I, I don't even notice. I'm like, you're a liar, man. You can't see that butt right there. Look, that one. I'm telling you, unless you are in the name of Jesus, unless you are filled with the Holy Spirit and you're operating out of his resource and walking in his leading and guiding and fellowship, you are not going to make it in the hour to come. Because it's not law. It's not, don't look at that. Okay, I won't. Seriously, that's just not what it is. You're a new creation. Dude, what, Paul, when he came into Ephesus, and when he ministered in Galatia, do you realize the culture of those cities in that hour? Oh, my word. Temple prostitution and open displays of affection. It's inc- I mean, just, are you, are you hearing me? See, I, there's a difference between being religion, being religious, and being Christian. Being filled with his, they, were, they literally maintained their witness being sawed in two. Yeah, I, I mean, it just, it speaks volume about the state of our church in America. We break a nail and we fall apart. Seriously. How do we get here? I'm supposed to be preaching out of this thing right here. So it's just, it's amazing the things we go back to. Because there's holes. I, I've dealt, we dealt with homeless ministry in, in, in our ministry for probably 20 years and uh, different 
South Carolina and, and uh, Christ Central Ministries down there and, and Lebanon, Tennessee and Nashville area, and we've just done it forever. And unless that inside thing is taken care of, it's like, it's like you know, you talk to someone who's in addiction. Are you going to make it? You know, I don't know. Is it an inside thing that's taken care of? Are you healed? Have you walked through inner healing? The scary word called deliverance that no one likes to talk about today? I mean, you might as well just say, I'm not going to. We had a kid, uh, one of our children was like really stubborn. She'd hold her breath. <gasps> I'm just never going to breathe again. I was like, I'm betting you will. Yeah. Seriously, they'll hold it. They'll, she'll fall. She'd pass out. She'd start breathing. I was like, ha, ha. Yeah. I'm never going to do that again. Yeah, you will. How many times have you come to church? Seriously, how many times have you come? This could be your night tonight. How many, how many times have you come here and sat there and didn't stand up, didn't come forward, and, and meant absolute minute with all your heart and said, I'm never going to do that again, and then walked out of here and did that again? So this isn't, ba- this isn't, this isn't works-based. It's not based on, on your passion. This is not based on what you're going to do. This isn't based on your effort. This is about you being a new creation. <laughs> this is going to be so good tonight. So he goes to this guy. He's been there his whole life. Jesus sees him lying there. And I want to walk you through some of the grammar in this really quickly. Okay, Verse 6. He sees him lying there, and it says he learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time. Let's start with that, okay? He sees him lying there, and he learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time. I have a lot of questions, so I, I, I get into the text. I get, I'm, I'm an investigator. I'm, my wife always says I'd be a great lawyer because I don't just, you know, my wife comes in, the kids are all arguing. It's like the sweeping judgment. You're all grounded, you know. So they don't go to mom. They come to me, and then they present their case, you know, and I analyze it, you know, and that, that's, how, that's my framework. So when I, and that's how I study the word. And I'm picturing Jesus coming in. First off, he's in the sheep gate area. Doesn't surprise me. Probably where I would have been hanging out. And he sees this guy, and it says he learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time. And my thinking is, well, how did he learn about it? Because there's, seriously, there's a number of ways that he could have learned. One way he could have learned is he could have went in, and, and uh, man, he could have seen a flyer. could have seen a flyer on the wall. And, uh, hey, as this, this guy was the monthly kind of uh, uh, promotion, you know, Hey, we're going to help this guy out this month. It's his turn and, you know, yeah, is that what it was, you know? Did he come in and did the disciples elbow him? Dude, look, he's still there. Jesus said, what? Oh, he's been there for 38 years, man. He still had not made it in the pool. Yeah, he's going to make it, man. He's crippled. You know, someone always, someone always beats you. How did Jesus learn? There was a variety of words for learn or know or knowledge uh, in the New Testament. Two of my favorites both of which John could have used here, the words gnosis and gnosko. They're very different. Um, Gnosis is the word primarily for, and it's used in godly ways, but it's primarily for informational knowledge. Gnosko is, is used in a lot of ways, depending on the context, but most of the time it's experiential knowledge. It, it's really famous for denoting um, intimacy, you know, um, Joseph did not gnosko Mary until Jesus was born. He did not know her 
And he's not like know her, like, what's your name again? Not, not that kind of no. He didn't have intimacy. He didn't, have, he didn't experience Mary until Jesus was born. So gnosko is, is personal involvement or experience, and gnosis is information. See, which one was it? When I was in Texas a few years ago, I got, uh, I learned, just like Jesus learned, I learned that if you drive without your seatbelt, you'll get a $350 seatbelt ticket. There's a couple different ways to learn that. You just learned it by me telling you. I got a $350 seatbelt ticket. Learned that. Which word is here? Gnosis or gnosko? That's the word gnosko. So it narrows down the picture. I'm like, oh, so I look in the Greek. I'm like, what's well, gnosko? Which means Jesus comes in the temple. He's in a place he probably shouldn't be. I mean, why would you be here? This is a sheep gate area. There's no movers and shakers, no influential folk here, just a bunch of outcasts. They don't even get good preaching and poor, the- I mean, they have poor theology. No one cares. They're surrounded, put their hopes on something that has nothing to do with the Father. I mean, it's just, wow, it's pitiful. And he's here. And somehow, he learns about this guy's situation through getting personally involved with him. But that still, I struggle with that still because, man, I get, sometimes in church, I get, I, I learn about things that I get personally involved in that I just rather not get personally involved in. <laughs> you ever been there before? You know, why am I here? I did not sign up for this. I am the evangelist, you know? See, how did, how did Jesus, did he get pulled into it? In other words, he could. If he could have came in the temple, he could have walked by this guy, and you know, just kind of, you know, Jesus, maybe he's like me, just kind of walking around, not know what's going on in life, and then steps on this guy's mat. And this guy's like, hey, and maybe he elbows him and says, I've been here for 38 years. You know, he, he learned about it. Seriously, is that how it happened? Did he come in and one of his buddies, hey, Jesus guy, you got to meet this guy. Oh, I'm really busy. I'm headed. Oh, no, it only take a second. Yeah, right, okay. So he pulls him over here. Is that how he learned about it? Well, this word learned is a, is a verb, obviously, and verbs come primarily in the, in the active and passive voice. Passive voice would mean, I don't want to confuse you, so many non-English people out there in an English-speaking society. But the passive voice basically would mean Jesus got pulled into the situation. The active voice means he jumped into the situation. Well, this verb is in the active voice. Which means Jesus comes in, walks right up to this guy, and gets personal, out of, out of all the, those that are there, gets personally involved with this guy. In fact, he walks up to him, and he, uh, he says, do you want to get well? How, how bad? How, how tired are you? It's just, did you do you want to live like this? And the guy begins to spill out his problems in verse 7. Oh, dude, you have no idea. I, oh, yeah, man. I, I tried to get in, and this guy, they jump in. Buffet. I, I'm never going to get in there. And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm not interested in hearing all that. And he gives him three commands, the, most, the strongest language in their culture. He says, get up, take that mat, and just get out of here. And it's so, he missed, I mean, he didn't, and there's all kinds of things I remember reading this for the first time, and I remember thinking, Jesus, there's just all kinds of things you did wrong. Let me show you. Let me show you real quick here. First off, you didn't give him an opportunity to become a Christian, a follower. There's no prayer of salvation. It's like you just did it because you loved him. Like there was no, there was no underhanded 
you know, back, back deal, back corner kind of motivations. Just, man, walked right up to this guy. The guy picks up his mat and walks, and then he runs into, so Jesus represents the child of God, and he'll explain this when we get down to verses 16 through 20, which is quickly coming. But he represents the child of God who's just motivated by love. He's not judgmental. He's not condemning. Not judgmental in the terms of this kind of judgmental. He didn't come in saying, get your life right. Didn't see none of that stuff. He just made it fall in love. And he's, he's the example of what you and I are to look like. And then immediately this guy picks up, he carries his mat, and he runs headlong into the leaders of Israel. The end of verse 9. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews, which means the Jewish leadership of Israel, said to the men, said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat, which I think this is just wonderful representation of the church. Not our church, but what was going on then, the established church of their day. I'd been here 38 years. Can you imagine what he looked like? You understand this is a feast day? We've been to, you know, Easter where we come in and it's dog and pony show. And, you know, this was, I mean, Jesus openly criticized this stuff, the phylacteries they wore and the outward stuff. And he was like, listen, don't dress up, man. Come on. I mean, they're all into that. And it was just this big, it became this big dog and pony show. And it's about money. And Jesus ends up cleansing the temple. And it was just a mess going on during his day. And this guy had to stand out. I mean, can you imagine his hair and his beard and his mustache? He's carrying this wet, you know, dripping, sheepy mat. He's walking through the temple. I mean, just, can you imagine the other people? Like, I mean, just, he's drawing an attention. And the first thing the, leaders of, the leadership of Israel say is not, dude, you've been healed. The first thing they say is, oh, yeah, carrying your mat. I'll give you one example of this, and I'll stop because I get carried away. I was at a church one time. I kid you not. This woman comes forward, gets saved. Um, she's a ministry now. She's a she's a um, uh, inner city uh, pastor to uh, um, homeless women uh, down in South Carolina. Phenomenal. Married a guy and just they're wonderful. Got two kids and she's just completely changed. She was a mess, man. She was mess, 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 and trouble with the law and drugs and alcohol and all this stuff. And so she comes forward and and uh, I was preaching there, my wife and I. And dude, my wife's praying for her and she gets radically saved like radically saved. Well, her family, that family invites me to their house afterwards. You know, it's, hey, you want to come over? We're going to have, you know, and she comes and she wants to talk to my wife and she comes in and I hear the grandma when she comes in and she goes, well, I wonder if it'll stick this time. And you can't punch them, you know, I mean... <laughs> I mean, you can, but there's legal battles you have to go through with all of that. And I just, I mean, it broke my heart. I mean, it just broke my heart. And that was all night. Are you going to quit smoking? Are you going to be able to quit smoking? Are you going to be real? And that's how they were talking to her. And I just said, I'm, I just stood up. I said, I think I'm leaving. And they all just kind of looked at me like, I was like, yeah, you should read, before I leave, read John chapter 5. And I just left. My wife took her with us. And she ended up moving up to Toledo and still involved in our ministry today. But it's so sad. That's the first thing they say. Don't, don't do that. 
Don't, we, we don't need to do that. Motivated by love. Motivated by love. Dude, I'm so happy for you. I'm not just going to overlook junk in your life. You know, stop this. You can't do that. Come on now. You can be free. I'm going to walk with you. But it's love. You, you, it's so, for me, it's, and, and you as well, I'm sure it's just so plain in the passage. So they investigate this guy. He ends up selling out Jesus, man. And, and you know, he's like, hey, it's not my fault. Jesus made me do it. <laughs> and they're like, who's Jesus? And I'll tell you who he is. And so he's coming along, and Jesus looks at him and finally says, listen, stop sinning, dude. Something's worse going to happen to you. Because he, like, he was still in the temple. It's all he knew. He went back to the, it's the only way that he knew he could get his fix. And so he's living back in that situation, probably pretending to be the way he was. This is what scholars say. I agree. So the leaders of Israel start to, uh, this is real quick here, the leaders of Israel start to um, question Jesus. And this is, by the way, verse 16 is a trial. This is a trial. Listen to the language of verse 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. In Luke, I'm going to give you the exact verse here. In Luke, you don't have to turn there. Verse, chapter 17, verse 23, uh, Jesus is talking about if someone says there's the Christ, you know, or here he is in the inner rooms or whatever, and he says, do not go running out. You know, don't, it's, it's, it, this word here for persecution literally means pursue, but it means pursue eagerly with an agenda. So literally, the, the, the Jewish leadership of Israel persecute him, literally pursue him with an agenda, like fanatically. And it's oftentimes used in the connotation with Jesus as persecution. So Jesus responds, and he, and he responds to him twice. First time he says it, they don't get it. So then he uses different language, says it again. And I love that because God will speak to me, and I'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, here's what I'm talking about. And he'll just say the same thing over a little bit different. I'm like, you said the same thing. He's like, yeah, listen. This is what he's doing. So Jesus looks at them, and this is so neat. Now, you're, you're going to hear this, what we've been talking about all week. They're basically saying, why would you heal a man on the Sabbath? And there's a number of things that he could have said. But he says, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. See, what's going on in heaven in, when I'm around is going to come out on earth. That is, you understand, that is the rock that is going to just, that is the ministry that's going to transform your city. Not good ideas, but God ideas. I mean, do we do have great ideas, but one day he's going to say, get out of the boat. You're going to be like, are you sure, God of the universe? <laughs> that doesn't seem financially viable. Dude, he does that. It's just, so he says, listen, you don't understand. Why would you do this? My father, dude. It's his fault. What does that mean? Yeah, I mean, it's, and, and we're not talking about, this gets so good, because we're not talking about, well, you want to know why I healed that guy on the, on the Sabbath? Well, that's what my dad does. Yeah, why do you go to church on Sunday? Well, that's the day we're supposed to go to church, praise the Lord. Yeah, why, why do you guys sing those songs? Those are the songs Jesus likes. 
That's why we do it. Yeah. Yeah, why do you wear those clothes? And why do you... See, I don't... That, he, he never answers like that. Oh, you want to know who I am? Come back to the scriptures, man. They're foundational. But if you want to know how I live on a daily basis, the scriptures tell me I'm a man sourced by God. I'm living in intimacy with him. And he's revealing and I'm speaking. I'm a tra- This is what he's talking about. So he doesn't give, you know, doesn't give the pat Sunday school answer. He's just like, man, I'm just. And they don't get it. Verse 18, for this reason, the Jews tried all the harder, which is powerful in light of the grammar that's used in verse 16, to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father and making himself equal with God. And Jesus says, don't kill me. Give me one more shot. And I'm going to share a word study I did probably 15 years ago that's transformed my life. It's in this passage. Jesus, I'll read it, then we'll put in the right word. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth, the son can do, that's our word, nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. He says the same thing he did back in verse 17, but he says it a little differently. In Greek, specifically in John's Gospels, um, Jesus uses two different Greek words for do pretty regularly. One is the Greek word proso. One is the Greek word poieo. Poieo. The word, <coughs> the word proso is a great word, Christian word, used for great things. But it, literally, it focuses on something that's done. What would you do today? Went to church. What would you do today? Got out of bed. You know, what would you do? I went by the gas station. Those are things that I did. That's proso. That is not the term in the passage. It's not the term in the passage. Why'd you do what you do? Well, my dad does that. That's not what he's talking about. They misunderstood that in verse 17. He's taking a different tactic, using different language. He says, what are my father poieos? I poieo. And whatever I poieo, my father poieos. And it's so interesting because you can translate poieo do, but in their culture, (laughs) this is so neat. In their culture, poieo describes how trees do fruit. And you're like, Listen, Tennessee boy, trees don't do fruit. Trees bear fruit. Trees produce fruit. You know how much, you know how many times Jesus describes Christianity with fruit language? Think about this. Well, it's not activities. I hear that all the time. How's your relationship with Jesus? Been going to church? I don't care. Well, I, 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 are you going to answer my question? I am. No, you're not. Well, I do this. I don't do that. I do this. I read my Bible. I know that. I don't. <laughs> Please stop. How's your, how's your walk with Jesus? I'm talking about inside thing. What, what do you hunger for? What does your life revolve, life revolve around? That's new creation stuff, dude. That's poieo. You'll know them by their fruit. You'll never run into an apple tree that has like these, you know, pears on them. Well, yeah, it's a rough day. <laughs> it's really rough. It's a traffic jam. You know my wife. Come on, dude. That's not what we're talking about. That's not what we're talking about. You're going to identify a tree by its fruit. And so how do, you, how, do you, how do you talk about that? Now, Jesus looks and says, hey, listen, 
whatever's going on inside of my dad makes him do what he does, that's what's going on inside of me. Makes me do what I do. He goes, you guys understand, man, I came in the temple and I didn't want to. I, just, I saw this guy through the eyes of my dad and I just couldn't help myself, man. It's not my fault, it is. I just fell in love with him. I came up and I learned his story and I just, man, he's been there his whole life. He has no one to help him. He's never going to make it in that pool. And he's got his hope in the wrong things. And I just couldn't help it. That's a Christian. And I'm telling you, the world can tell the difference between that and this. They just can. When you look at him, you authentically care about him. So it transforms people. It's going to transform your kids. When you discipline them because they're annoying you and they're taking up your time, I wish you'd stop fighting. It's driving me crazy. I get it. I've been there. I've got kids. I mean, we've, we've thrown one out the window before, too. I mean, I, I do. I get it. Okay? But that's a far cry from looking at him and saying, man, I just, man, I want, I want, I want better for you than this. I want better for you than this. This is why I want you to get good grades. That I, I, want, I want something better for you than myself. I'm positioning my life to make your life better. And any farmers should always know this because it's, I mean, you just you leave legacies for your kids. It's very hard to pick up something and run. I, I, I did. Jesus grabbed a hold of me and plucked me out of a family that didn't know Jesus. It was terrible. I want something better for my kids. It's motivated by love. I don't have an old bag or a ball and chain. I have a beautiful bride. She has an outstanding husband. <laughs> and we just speak life. Dude, this is his language. It's, it's literally what's, you, what goes, what's, what's in you is going to come out of you. Sooner, and there's nothing more embarrassing, sooner or later the real you is going to get out. And it's embarrassing when the smile just doesn't come across quite like it should. Do you know what I'm saying? And then the last thing he says is in verse 20, and he gives a reason, four is there, and he says, for the father loves the son. And this is what will eventually get him killed. Uh, in the Old Covenant and almost all the way through the New Covenant, love, the church, and we do this, the church stole the term agape, which is used for all kinds of things in Greek culture, and they stole it, loaded it with covenant love, and that became the love for the word we express Christianity. I mean, they just literally stole that. We do the same thing, you know. We take love and we, we take terms and we load it with, you know, Christ-like meaning. So agape was that word. It's selfless love. It's, I hate God. He loves you. It's, it's, one, it, it's, it's, it's really one way. It's undeserved. It's unmerited favor. It's, I love you. You don't earn it. You, have, you don't deserve it. You don't have to reciprocate it. God is love. God interacts with all beings, demonic alike. God is love. It's his nature. That's who he is. And we share that with him. God loves us. God so loved the world. That's agape. But here, it's the Greek word. It's shocking. It's the Greek word phileo. You're like, oh, brotherly love. Yeah, 
But the primary, the root word of phileo is phileo, which means friend. So it's friendship love. Do you know what Jesus says? My dad, he's my pal. <laughs> he's my buddy. He's so good. He tells me everything, man. I lay in bed with him at night and I just, I can tell him anything. He's my best friend. And what's neat about phileo is that phileo limits because it's a participatory love. Friendship. So I can't say, yeah, that guy's my friend. They're like, dude, he hates you. Yeah, we're friends. No, you have to participate in that. And so people say, that can't, God can't do that. God can't do that. There's a whole group of theologians that say, I can't do that. You're limiting God. You mean like me saying no to him? That's phileo. What are, you, what are you saying, Jeremiah? Do you know how much he loves you? Seriously. And everything he's doing in your life is for your good. He's trying to save us. He's trying to redeem us. I know we went long, we're done. But he's trying to redeem us. He wants you to feel. This is, be- this is the beautiful thing. You got to stop thinking, okay, I'm going to stop watching that. Or I'm going to stop, you know, doing that activity. Just come on. That's never the emphasis. That's never the emphasis. Jesus never says that. You've heard it said this. I'm telling you this. You've heard it said don't commit adultery, okay? I'm telling you don't even lust. You let me inside of you. That'll never happen. You've heard it said don't kill. Don't kill people. Big fan, okay? Don't murder people. But dude, I'm telling you, don't even hate. I want to change the motivation of your heart. I don't know if you've ever sat before him and said, I don't want to want that anymore. That's my problem. I want things that I shouldn't want. That's what Paul says, by the way. Romans chapter 7, what a wretched man I am. By the way, you know when he says what I do, I don't do, and I don't know, it gets all confusing. It's two different Greek words used back and back. Guess which two they are. What I practice that's what I don't want to do. Or you know, what I poieo, what's going on inside of me, that's what I don't want to practice. But what I feel, that's what I keep practicing. And he comes to this conclusion that the law is right. Not judging what I do, judging who I am. Who's going to save me from this body of death? Whoo! Guess what chapter 8 is? Life through the Spirit. See, if you're tired of doing the things you do, just say, Jesus, Give me a clean heart. Renew in me a right spirit. Entirely sanctify me, holy and holy. Take who you are in your nature and let it live inside of me. I, want, I don't want to be driven by passions or my sex drive or my anger or my zeal or my accomplishments or my brain or my agenda. or my. I just, I want to be led by your spirit. That's Christianity. It's fundamental. It's who you are. This is what, this is it. All the other stuff, just if your heart's right, all the other stuff just kind of happens. It's just, yeah, that, you just don't have to worry about that stuff. I want to pray with you tonight. And, I, you know, yeah, you need to respond tonight. There are some times you just need to get the old butt out of the seat. Seriously. Do you feel that? I do. I always call that the good news feeling. 
Some of you are about to be changed forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Give me, give me new eyes. Jesus, we come to you today. Thank you.